Bruce Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce! Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. It's good to be back. For those of you who were not aware, I was on vacation last week. I still recorded my podcasts with the help of Anthony Marino from Buffalo Rumblings. Another shout out to Anthony for helping me facilitate that during my absence. I recorded them in a hammock from an undisclosed beach location, but I'm back in studio and better than ever because the Bills are 3-0. and How could I not be better than ever? The Bills defeated the Los Angeles Rams, putting to bed the well-who-have-they-beaten narrative that I don't have to deal with this week. But there are other narratives to deal with. We do have other things to talk about after the Bills went up big on the Los Angeles Rams, almost let it slip away from them, and then stole victory from the jaws of defeat. But a lot of things to talk about coming out of that game. And we're going to dive right into it on a meta level, on a macro level, this game allows me to introduce a fun concept, which is this motto. Timing is one of the biggest factors in narratives. So the final score of the Bills-Rams game was 35 to 32. The method by which those final two scores came to be tells you a lot about the narrative. So for example, if it would have been 17 to 14 at half and the second half would have been a offensive duel that went back and forth and ended in 35, 32, our feelings on this game would be a lot different than they are. We arrived at the same point, but the method by which we got there determines the narrative. Keep this in mind, because this really goes to show you that not all end results are the same. The final score of the game was 35 to 32, but it got there a particular way that tells us something about the team that it would not tell us had we gotten there via a different path. Had the team arrived at a 35 to 32 final score via any other method than the way it did, the narrative coming out of the game would be different because timing creates narratives and the end result by itself isn't necessarily telling you a story. The method by which you acquire the end result is what tells you the story. Just like all 99-yard passing touchdowns are not the same. There's a big difference in the story of that 99-yard passing touchdown from a quarterback like Fitz 
bombing it to T.O. versus someone checking it down and having a running back break a bunch of tackles and take off. The result's the same, but the story is different. And I think that's an interesting point to bring off right off the bat. In addition, this particular story lends itself toward another game-winning drive for Josh Allen. Someone asked me on social media if I felt that game-winning drives were an important quarterback statistic. I do feel like I feel comfortable assigning game-winning drives to a quarterback because the vast majority of the time during game-winning drives, it's passing-only plays against a specific type of defense. That is the overwhelming majority of game-winning drives. So I'm okay assigning those things to a quarterback. However, because the timing of the scores give the opportunities for game-winning drive, I don't think they're an overly valuable statistic for a quarterback. It's fun to have. It's good to know. But if Josh Allen would have scored one touchdown earlier in the game and then not been necessary to have to score a game-winning drive because he would have scored the second drive of the third quarter, for example. Would that have made him a lesser quarterback because he scored that same touchdown earlier in the game? No, I don't think it would have. So it's interesting to balance the result and the process by which you got to the result. And really, the point of drawing a distinction between those two things, the process and the result, is... Can the process predict future results better than the result can predict future results? And this is what we talked about after week one. We specifically talked about, hey, the method by which you win tells you more about the team than the fact that you won. And I 100% am on board with this idea that sometimes the process can help you predict future results more than the results. This is the reason why working on film is so important. This is the reason why looking at film is so important. Because it helps you distinguish the difference between a 99-yard touchdown pass that was of zero effort by the quarterback or a 99-yard touchdown pass that was an excellent throw by the quarterback. If you want to try and predict the future... You use processes, not necessarily results. And the processes of this game is what we're going to talk about. Qualitatively, what happened in this game that can help us look forward. We're not just going to chalk it up and go, it's W, we're moving on. Because that's great and that's wonderful and it's the ideal outcome. But the process of obtaining that outcome is what's going to tell you whether or not we can expect or hope for more outcomes like that in the future. And we're going to have to start with Josh Allen. I understand you've probably heard a lot this week about Josh Allen. But the title of this podcast is The Improbable Josh Allen. I posted on social media, specifically Twitter, that Josh Allen has improbably taken the next step. And some people got a little upset at me for using the word improbable. And I'm not entirely sure why, but we are going to define improbable and see whether or not Josh Allen qualifies as that for the purposes of this discussion. Improbable was defined as not likely to be true or to happen. 
It's an adjective. Not likely to be true or happen. Now, this is important. Not likely to be true based on what? Not likely to happen based on what? Well, I'll give you a great and relevant example. In football, win probability is calculated based on down, distance, ball possession, and score. Because we have tons of data that indicates that if you get the ball down by three on your own 20 with 47 minutes left to go in the game, that you have an X probability of winning that game based on every single game that has ever had that data point in it. Home away, down in distance, field position, ball control. All these things go into it because we have so many data points that we have scenarios in the past that show us probability. Well, Bruce, it's not this team. No, it's not this team. But you have to do this based on something. Not likely to be true based on what? Well, the answer is based on every other scenario like this one. Not likely to happen based on what? Every other scenario like this one. When I say Josh Allen is improbable, here's what I mean. The story is well known at this point. Josh Allen received no scholarship offers from any NCAA Division I program. No FBS, no second-tier FCS. San Diego State said, hey, you can walk on. But that was it. Players with that resume are unlikely to be NFL players. He started at JUCO at Reedley College. JUCO transfers are unlikely to be NFL starters. He went to Wyoming. Wyoming players are unlikely to be NFL players. He came out, and I would make the argument that Josh Allen wasn't even a great college quarterback. And if you're not a great college quarterback, how likely do you think it is that you're going to be a great NFL quarterback? Too small, six foot three, 180 pounds, didn't go to seven on seven camps. Unlikely, improbable. How many times have we seen people come out of college recently with completion percentage and accuracy issues and they end up blooming in the NFL? Again, unlikely. That doesn't mean it never happens. That doesn't mean it's impossible. That means it's improbable. And Josh Allen is improbable. How many third-year quarterbacks break out? Improbable. Most of the time, by the end of year two, you know who a quarterback is. Josh Allen's a different scenario, a different guy. What am I basing this on? I'm basing this on every other person who shares those data points with Josh Allen. Not who shares all of them, but who shares each of them. Improbable. We should look at that as a fan base and rally around that. We should look at that as a positive thing. He bucked the odds. 
this fan base loves the underdog mentality. They love the everyone counted us out. We should be embracing the improbability of Josh Allen. We should be wrapping ourselves in the improbability blanket and enjoying the warmth of a third-year breakout from a college quarterback from the University of Wyoming who was almost entirely a traits project quarterback. How often do they work out? We should be enjoying this just the way it is and not fighting it because we believe it's a slight. It's not a slight. Every other data point of people who share those traits with Josh Allen was unlikely to succeed. Having people question whether or not Josh Allen was going to work out when he got drafted seventh overall wasn't unreasonable because it was based on probability. Now, the good thing is it only has to work out once. You don't have to continually hit every single year on a franchise quarterback. You only have to hit it once, which means it doesn't matter how improbable it is if that one hits. Because the sample size is one for that franchise. But the sample size for everybody is a lot. And thinking that it was improbable that Josh Allen was going to work out isn't insane. It makes it even better. When he got drafted, I said the reason I wasn't on board wasn't because it was impossible. It was because it was improbable. Guess what? He is out there proving me wrong every week this year. That doesn't mean it was improbable. That just means it worked out. If you take a long shot and it has a 5% chance of happening and it happens, that was awesome. That doesn't change the fact that it was improbable. And that's a good thing. The fact that the Bills could succeed with a quarterback where so many other franchises have failed with other project quarterbacks who they took on traits speaks to the franchise. We shouldn't be running away from the improbability. We should be embracing it. We turned an improbability as an organization into what might be our franchise quarterback. That's a good thing. That's something we should be embracing as a fan base. Josh Allen, the improbable. I'll tell you what Josh Allen isn't, though. Not anymore. He is not Josh Allen, the oppressed. Guys, the national media has been absolutely hyping up Josh Allen all over the place. And if you don't want to see it at this point, then you're trying to be obtuse. If you want to continue with the chip on your shoulder, nobody believes in us, that's fine. But it's not actually backed up by significant statistical data. Not anymore. Josh Allen shows up on tons of MVP lists. He shows up in the top 10 of a ton of people's quarterback lists. It's all over the place. Yes, there are some stragglers. There are some people who are holding out. There are some subsections of media and subsections of media analysis that are still holding the fort that he sucks. He really sucks. Listen, 
If you look at Josh Allen this year and say he sucks, you're just trying. You're trying to find something. If you want to have reasonable concern and skepticism about his ability to continue on this course, okay, that's fine. But there's no way you can look at what he's doing this year and say he sucks. And the vast majority of the national media isn't doing that either. So if you want to continue to think you're a martyr, that's fine. But it's not backed up by any actual data. The majority of all Josh Allen takes you're going to see from NFL Network and ESPN and Sports Illustrated and everything else is going to be positive toward Josh Allen. So that that narrative needs to die because they're not the ones keeping it alive. We are. We're keeping it alive by having this unnecessary chip on our shoulders that says that Josh Allen isn't getting the respect. When he plays well, like he has this year, he gets respect. That's the way it works. So he's Josh Allen the improbable for sure, but he's not Josh Allen the oppressed. So what did they get wrong? What did a bunch of people get wrong? What did I get wrong in the Josh Allen evaluation? And I think it's really two things. The organization's ability to develop him and his individual ability to develop. Those two things, I think, were understated in the process. I said last week that I do believe that this organization could write a manifesto on developing a young quarterback. If I was 100% confident that Adam Gase could read, I would have them send it to him. But they could write a manifesto on how to develop a quarterback, surrounding him with stable coaching, people who adjust the game plan to his strengths, people who ask him to do the things he's good at. There's no massive amounts of West Coast concepts in the Bills' offensive passing scheme. It's play action, plant your back foot, throw the ball down the field, Easy throws to kind of get you there. Run the ball with your quarterback if necessary. Scramble and make a second phase play if necessary. These are the things Josh Allen's good at. The intermediate deep crossers. You'll see a very, very different type of quarterback when you look across the field this upcoming week at Derek Carr, who I affectionately have called Super Trent Edwards. Very different type of quarterback in a very different system. They're not asking him to do things that aren't effective. They're also utilizing analytics, motion, play action, things that make the quarterback's job easier. They're doing. Get him an offensive line. Get him weapons. Make sure you isolate the variable. The organization developed Josh Allen better than they have ever developed any young quarterback previously to Jim Kelly. They took their cracks at it. Todd Collins, Rob Johnson, J.P. Lossman, E.J. Manuel, Trent Edwards. They thought these were the guys. None of those other Bills regimes developed those players the way that Josh Allen has been developed. None of them. That's the first thing that people got wrong. The second thing they got wrong was Josh Allen's ability to develop. We knew 
that Josh Allen was thousands upon thousands upon thousands of reps behind Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold. Joe Marino on Twitter multiple years ago said he talked to a scout and they estimated he was 10,000 reps behind Baker Mayfield. 10,000. So you were getting Josh Allen at a different point in his development than Baker Mayfield was at. But it's still a little foggy because you're projecting improvement. And improvement doesn't always happen. This idea that we're going to assume improvement is kind of foolhardy. It doesn't always happen. But it did for Josh Allen. His ability to be coached, his ability to correct things that he wasn't good at, if you look at his mechanics from year one to year now, it's not the same player. There are some similar things that crop up apparently and they crop up from time to time and we still see some of them. We saw a little bit of it in the back half of the Rams game. But watch the way he throws his touch passes. Watch the way he throws his deep ball. Watch the way he takes that little hop to keep from locking out his left leg. These are things that people like Tim Tebow could never fix. He could never fix that issue. But Josh Allen could. Improbable. But those two things, people got wrong. Very rarely do you have the traits that Josh Allen had. And you have the ability to continue to grow without plateauing on really bad habits. And they were banking on that. They were banking on the lack of reps so that all those reps that Baker Mayfield was ahead of Josh Allen, all those reps came in college. Josh Allen's going to get those reps in the NFL with NFL coaching in the same scheme. All those developmental reps that he's going to get, those 10,000 reps he was behind, he's going to get them all with Brian Dable. He's going to get them all in the NFL with Sean McDermott. And that's what people got wrong. Because sometimes you have to just admit things to yourself. Because the narratives that are going around is insane right now. So apparently, Brian Dable held Allen back until this year, but also Allen took a leap, but he didn't take a step, but that doesn't mean Allen was average or below average because he was a superstar, but he took a leap, but he's still a superstar. And now he's awesome, and he's also awesome, but he took a huge leap, but that was not because of adding Diggs. Adding Diggs was great, but that wasn't the reason because he was awesome before. Listen, listen, guys. Josh Allen was a below average passer last year. There is no way you can argue otherwise. We have an entire year's worth of data. He was a below average passer last year. He was a tremendous runner. I'd make an argument that would equal out to him being an okay quarterback. I've made that argument many times on this podcast. He is not a below average passer anymore, ladies and gentlemen. Not this year. Not unless you're just trying. Just trying to knock everything he does. His actual passing mechanics are different and better. On the most fundamental granular level, he's better. Not just because the result was there, because the process is bare. That's right. I looped us all the way back around to the beginning. You see how I did that? Yeah. It's not just that the end result is better. It's that the process is better, which means we can then look at the process and project, hopefully, 
more positive results, which is exactly what we started off talking about on this podcast. Now, there's still things we need to talk about. The lateral to McKenzie was completely fine. It's not equitable to the lateral to Dawson Knox. He had room. He made eye contact with McKenzie. McKenzie somehow didn't get his hands out there. That was a perfectly reasonable play. I have no problem with the lateral to McKenzie. Zero issues. The throw to Tyler Croft, that was a quote-unquote interception. That was one of the worst calls I've ever seen in my life. That was a terrible throw. He should not have made that throw. Josh Allen still occasionally has those things. But if you get enough good, you can live with those things. Brett Favre had those things. I'm not comparing Josh Allen to Brett Favre, please. But I'm saying that there's some quarterbacks who have the highest of highs that you can deal with an occasional boneheaded play. Again, it's the ratio between plays an average quarterback wouldn't likely miss versus plays an average quarterback wouldn't likely make. Josh Allen is the improbable. Not the oppressed, but the improbable. We are going to take a quick break. We are going to come back. We are going to address the rest of the narratives from this game. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive of Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. We dedicated the entire first part of this podcast to Josh Allen, as well we should have. He's in the MVP conversation, ladies and gentlemen. We should have. Let's talk about the offensive line. I was not a fan of the Brian Winters-Cody Ford combination at the guard positions. Quentin Spain is not an upper echelon guard in this league. I talked about it last year that he hasn't been so good that we can't consider replacing him, but I do find it very odd they just gave him an extension and now they benched him. Quentin Spain, not the most mobile offensive lineman. And what you have noticed is that the Bills are running a lot more screen passes and getting their linemen out in space a lot more this year than they did last year which necessitates a different type of lineman. There's a chance that the reason they resigned Quentin Spain is because they weren't they weren't quite sure if they were going to be able to attain an offensive lineman like that in free agency in the draft. And they wanted to make sure they didn't take a step backwards. But then when they were able to bring in Brian Winters 
and they already had Cody Ford and they had Daryl Williams at right tackle. They thought, well, you know, maybe let's try to upgrade there. Not this week. Anyway, Brian Winters was very, very bad. And Cody Ford was not very good. What happened with the offensive line in the back half of the game? Well, what happened was Josh Allen and the offensive line were sliding protection toward Aaron Donald. And then the player to Aaron Donald's side was dropping back into coverage and they were bringing somebody on the opposite side and they were getting free rushers. That's how you get free rushers while you only rush four. You're bringing rushers away from the sliding of protection. That's what happened. And the alternative there is don't slide protection toward Aaron Donald and have him eat your lunch. And I have a feeling that the reason why the Bills were comfortable doing that is because Josh Allen can historically make the first person miss in the pocket. And he did a lot of times. Let's talk about that defense. It wasn't good. The defensive line and Tremaine Edmonds did not play well. Tremaine Edmonds has not been playing well. He has a shoulder injury. So at this point, I don't think I'm ringing the alarm. But I was on Pat Moran's podcast, the Talking Buffalo podcast, power ranking the top 20 Buffalo Bills. And I put Matt Milano over Tremaine Edmonds and it raised some eyebrows. It shouldn't. I truly believe Matt Milano is a better player right now. Now, Tremaine Edmonds still has all the potential in the world and very much like Josh Allen was kind of a project that you picked based on traits. Didn't show wonderful instincts at Virginia Tech, but had all the physical tools you could want and was a hard worker who was smart. And you said, I'm going to take a chance on tools. And so you draft Tremaine Edmonds for that reason. But let's see how he does when the shoulder is healed up. The defensive line was not great. Quentin Jefferson got blown off a little bit. Jerry Hughes got whooped a little bit. It's not as simple as just missing Star Latulule, I don't think. It's not that obvious. Star Latulule was an effective rundown player. But it's also very new on the defensive line. No more Jordan Phillips. We have Vernon Butler now. We have Quentin Jefferson now. Brought in AJ Epinesa. There's some new pieces on that defensive line. I'm not saying they have to gel the same way an offensive line has to go. I'm just saying that really gap integrity isn't just a coaching point. It's also a physical trait. Being able to hold your gap is a physical trait. And I think that the Bills defensive line can do it. I'm not hitting the panic button yet on the Bills run defense. Not yet. I think you put Vernon Butler a little bit more at the one tech. You rotate Quentin Jefferson in on passing downs. I think Vernon Butler and Ed Oliver can hold their ground against the run. I do. I think AJ Epinesa will learn how to press and squeeze his gap. I think that that has a chance to turn around. I'm not freaking out quite yet. Speaking of the defense, good for Levi Wallace to bounce back and get a interception. That doesn't mean that he played great football across the board, but that was a really good interception. That was not a result of a gimme throw from a quarterback. That was film study, tendency, being aggressive, tricking Jared Goff, That was a good interception for Levi Wallace, and I'm happy for him. 
We talked about a lot of stuff today, ladies and gentlemen. We talked about a lot of stuff today. And I hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Bruce Exclusive. Come back. Let's talk tomorrow about the upcoming game against the Las Vegas Raiders. It will never be not weird to say that. And until then, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumble.